probiotics beneficial for you, but you may not be aware of a new innovation in them that could really help you out. Hi, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today, I am joined by a longtime mentor of mine, Dr. Dietrich Klinghart, who is an MD-PhD uh, training in Germany, and he still uh, goes back there, actually in London too. And in the U.S., he's based out of Seattle. So he is the physician who first introduced me to this novel approach, and we're going to discuss this in great detail, and I think you're going to find a lot of useful information here. So welcome, and thank you for joining us today, Dr. Klinghart. Well, it's nice to see you again, Joe. All right. So uh, we, I had the chance of connecting with you in March earlier of this year, and we, uh, I sat next to you during the presentations I presented at your conference, and you enlightened me about a novel approach that you were getting incredible results in in your clinic because you're, you're still in the trenches. You see some of the sickest patients in the world and are able to help a good percentage of them with your novel techniques that really you know, focus on the basics. And this is one of them. Obviously, we have to clean up the diet. We're not going to talk about that here today. We agree pretty much on that. But the other approach is to use these spore-based probiotics. And they cop, they don't necessarily mean you have to stop probiotics, but they complement it. So I wondered if you could talk about how you found them and your clinical experience with them. Okay, so um, it's really a, a long, a longer story. Um, <laughs> of course. The, the, the reason I paid, so the, first of all, this uh, new probiotic is a group of uh, derivatives of the uh, microbe called uh, Bacillus. Mm -hmm. There's a species that means there's hundreds of subspecies, and the most important uh, subspecies of it is Bacillus subtilis. Really, uh, there is some disagreement how to spell it subtilis or subtilis. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really a silent B uh, internationally, but I think here in the US we call it Bacillus subtilis. There's uh, there several, is, is, <laughs> several is it, other uh, Bacillus flexus and a couple of other species. Isn't that like the isn't that the strain that makes natto? Uh, you know, honestly, I, I cannot tell you that. I think it is. Um, but the the uh, amazing thing, the reason I paid attention to it, um, there's a German product that, that you know, I worked with the Enderline therapy mm -hmm. uh, for decades before you and I ever met. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Günther Enderline was a German microbiologist. And one of the first products uh, he created uh, was called Recarsin or Pleorec, which is a derivative, it's the cell walls basically of Bacillus spores or Bacillus subtilis. And so, and that product came out in Germany in 1935 and has been used as a immune modulator to, to achieve very, very effective immune modulation. And so when I saw that there is a, uh, over-the-counter product out now that uses the same spores um, for treatment, I was totally enthusiastic because the, the underlying remedies have had uh, a difficult track record in the U.S. to get them and not to get them right now. We can only get them from Canada. And so, uh, and I have um, since 1976 experience with using uh, <laughs> Bacillus subtilis uh, in that form, and then when it came out as a supplement, I was totally enthusiastic. And so, um, this new product has a history since, really since in the U.S. since 1950, 
2008. The first time it was uh, approved by the FDA as a medical drug was in 1958 and then went through different evolutions and then disappeared again. And so now we have a wonderful, fantastic source of it that really came straight out of the human uh, microbiome uh, project. You know, the, the next project that evolved was the uh, gut microbiome project that's still going on to identify all the species of microbes that we have in the gut. And the, the really exciting thing about that is that pretty much every species that is discovered that wasn't named before or wasn't really known in a significant serves different functions in our organism. And, and I think we, I should just say a few things about that, some of the more exciting things that I found. So, for example, there is one species, and I, forgive me, I don't remember the name, that actually produces vitamin C. Um, getting rid of the myth that the human being is crippled, that we cannot make our own vitamin C like all other animals can, that we need to take uh, external vitamin C. That's a complete myth. You know, we have a species of microbes in our gut that actually produces vitamin C out of sugar. And so that was a revolution for me when we found out there's other species um, then have the function of creating amino acids. In fact, uh, there is a famous Swiss researcher, Bircher Banner, you know, the, the, who invented the muesli. Uh, anyone who's ever eaten muesli, uh, it's called in Europe Bircher muesli, named after its inventor. And Bircher Banner uh, was a wonderful researcher, medical doctor, who went in the 1940s across different island regions, different parts of the world to see how long people live and what they eat. And uh, he found uh, a uh, subculture in the Caribbean where people lived well into their hundreds, but they only ate one food, it was sweet potatoes. Mm. And he uh, followed the question, how do these people survive on sweet potatoes? Because there is no, virtually no amino acids in it, there's no fatty acids in it. There's hardly any vitamins in it. And so what he found is that he had, uh, these inhabitants had a species of Clostridia in their gut that were actually producing the whole spectrum of essential amino acids and the whole spectrum of essential fatty acids. Mm. So uh, these are just a few tasters. There's many others, but we, we know now there's this incredible vast research going on. Uh, we have at least 2,500 species of different microbes in the gut. And most, if not all of them, serve our organism in a symbiotic way that they are either producing something or they're absorbing some toxic products that we are producing and metabolize them. Uh, some of them are detoxing the environmental toxins that come uh, with our food. And some of them, and that's the, really the sporebiotic, is the killer of them in resetting the balance in our immune system. And, and, and maybe a last thing before you ask the next question, uh, one of the, the big issue in our time that, that you're aware of, you're all aware of, is really uh, uh, described in one uh, single word, and that is immune tolerance. Mm -hmm. you know, that, that Instead of using the word inflammation, the word immune tolerance is one level deeper. It basically suggests 
that many of us have lost our tolerance towards the factors that are in our environment. You know, many, many of our patients have lost the tolerance towards actually food that would serve them in many ways, but they cannot tolerate it. Um, many people do not tolerate the vitamins and nutrients they take, they've lost that. Many people have not, uh, are not tolerating the uh, environment they live in, the carpet floors, the, the chemicals that are outgassing. Other people are, and um, we find, and I, I know you know the truth of that, that the healthier a person is today, uh, the more immune tolerant that person is. That means they're the ones that are not affected greatly by the electromagnetic environment. Mm -hmm. um, they're the people that avoid the chemicals that are in the air and in the food, the, the aluminum in the air, the, the glyphosate in the food. Um, the, the people that have the greatest tolerance are the ones that are in greatest health. And the question was always, is immune tolerance a consequence of good health? Or is immune tolerance actually the factor that makes people healthy? And I, I would postulate the latter. And so the the uh, bacillus spores that we probably going to talk more about have been found, and there's several research papers that confirm that it dramatically increases our immune tolerance. And so with that, it it becomes not just one of the many things you can do for health not one of the, the many other things you can try uh, or, or put in your program, but it becomes a very primary, 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 primary issue. Um, we have very, very few tools. I, I could mention a few others, but we have very few tools to predictably increase immune tolerance in the patient. And the, the spores are right now number one. Oh, cool. Thank you. And for mentioning that, and in addition to the vitamin C that you mentioned the bacillus makes, I believe it also makes vitamin K2, which is really a crucial component, especially working with vitamin D. But I want to make it clear and so people understand that the bacillus, uh, the, the, this, pro, this spore biotic or spore probiotic is the spores. It's not the bacillus strains itself. And as a consequence of that, one of the biggest benefits is that you know, many of us are exposed to antibiotics. If not directly, you know, then to 80% of the uses of the antibiotics in the United States goes into the farm animals. So we're consuming it indirectly through our food. So we're getting this continuous stream of antibiotic exposure, which can develop antibiotic resistance. And the beautiful thing about this spore, especially if you happen to be taking an antibiotic, this, it, the antibiotics don't affect it at all. And it can help reestablish it. So I wonder if you can comment on that, and then we'll talk about some of your clinical experiences with it, because you, you, you expressed your enthusiasm for us, but you never told us what happened as a result of the enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, so let, let me just explain the, the word spore. So spores, the spore form uh, of a microbe is really equivalent to a seed in plant life. Mm -hmm. It is very, very well protected in that, but it's a protective shell around the DNA and the working mechanism of it. And the bacillus spores have been, now listen to this, have been found to live in the soil for 50 million years. Oh, they can nice. be silent, dormant, and they're dormant. It's, the spore form is a dormant, non-metabolically, not alive form yet of it. They can survive uh, the different conditions in the earth for 50 million years. That means 
if the global warming continues and the spraying of aluminum from the air and all the other environmental factors, and all the greater mammals are extinct, including us, and there's really no more um, higher evolu evolution of life here, what will hatch out regularly <laughs> are the bacillus spores, and life will start again from that stage onward and, and move forward from there. 50 million years that's published in research. And so when you swallow uh, these spores, um, there is a couple of conditions. You know, first of all, they have to pass through the stomach acid. And we, we should maybe say here that most um, probiotics that people uh, take, when they take it on an empty stomach, your, your pH is 1.5. Virtually none of the acidophilus uh, products that people take are surviving the stomach acid. I mean, they come out dead on the other end. If you take probiotic, regular probiotics, you know, which are usually in the U.S., it's just acidophilus and some of the um, brewer's yeast-derived ones, um, most of them arrive dead. But when you take it after a meal, your pH grows up to 3 or 3.5 and maybe 20% or so are surviving and you get some benefit from it at the end. But the spores that pass through the stomach acid completely unaffected. Now, for them to become active and actually work for you, they have to hatch out, they have to germinate. You know? And so that's number one. And they do that, they start to germinate in the small intestine and then they have to establish residency. That means they have to actually talk to the other microbes and be accepted by them. You know, the, the other 2,500 species basically have to welcome them and have to agree to a certain number of them that can establish their way there. Now, because the, the bacillus uh, species is a regular uh, innate inhabitant of our normal bowel flora, uh, the, the, the spores, once they hatch out, are fully accepted into the community of our resident gut microbiomes, uh, gut microbiome and um, unfold their, their property, their symbiotic contribution uh, in the gut in that way. By the way, um, the, the, the uh, bacillus spores tend to also be very active in, in involved in creating healthy uh, biofilm, and and I think it's important for people to know because biofilm has gotten such a bad rap uh, recently uh, that all our resident microbes have a blueprint uh, of themselves living a germinating layer in healthy biofilm which lines the entire gut. And so, um, what is talked about in context of Lyme disease is pathogenic biofilm, which is a whole different animal, but. We have to be careful with the current insane strategies to destroy all biofilm. Um, the, the, the healthy gut microbes are having a blueprint of themselves lining the, the entire gut uh, in biofilm. And the bacillus uh, is very, very well involved in creating healthy biofilm. And healthy biofilm is, um, yeah, if, if you want, it's a nursery for the, for the bugs that we need to help break down our food, metabolize it, talk to the immune system, creating immune tolerance and all that. So that's, that's just a little bit of, the, of the, the underlying issue. So once these spores are hatched, they've had uh, 
published in beautiful, beautiful papers, highly ranked medical journals, they have different functions. One is on the intestinal barrier function. Yeah? So we, we know that the mucosal barrier in the gut is really what decides what foods we absorb, what toxins we excrete through the barrier. And the, the barrier is a home of the contact of the immune system with the foods that we ingest. And so for us to absorb elements from a food, first of all, they need to be broken down proper by the digestive process, but then there needs to be a process by which the food talks to the immune system and the immune system says, okay, that food we're taking in. And one of the beautiful things of the spores once they hatched out is they increase immune tolerance. That means they, 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 first of all, they repair the damaged intestinal barrier, the leaky gut, as we call it in common terms, um, has been found that it has an incredible role in repairing the, the leaky gut. And then secondly, the, the bacillus talks to the immune system to suggest greater tolerance towards the different food particles and greater absorption of the food. And so that is a fantastic uh, step in our medicine because we've been looking at all this, the other things that didn't work, the glutamine and, and various other probiotics that never really made a difference in that way. Uh, now the bacillus does that. It, it's absolutely beautiful what it does. And, and I think the, the research you know, that it increases IgA, you know, that's a protective immune globulin in the gut. It, uh, the, the, the bacillus has a fantastic effect in actually increasing innate immunity, the, the Th1-based immunity, the, the cell-mediated immunity. Um, uh, the, 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 common, the common issue of uh, people being so allergic today and uh, so intolerant towards the environment uh, really has to do with an upregulation, the so-called Th2 shift that the adaptive immune system is hugely activated at cost of the cell-mediated immune system. And, and much, I, I probably can say that here, we know the vaccines play yeah, a huge I, role in that. I was going to say that, right. That vaccines are the key there. Yeah, it's a recent study that shows that vaccinated children have 14 times the incidence of severe neurodevelopmental disorders and allergies. And so, the beautiful thing if the bacillus is reverses that, it, it yeah. moves the TH1 that. that's been suppressed by the vaccines back up into its balance point. And so um, we, we feel and we observe in the autistic children community fantastic benefits that some of the damage caused iatrogenically uh, is reversed by simply taking this product in, in really very, very small amounts. You know, a five-year-old may just need a, a quarter, the content of a quarter tap capsule uh, once or twice a day to reset the, the system. And so um, maybe just a little bit more so we get that part out of the way sure. um, before we get to just some clinical observations. The, um, the, the inflammatory cytokines that, that we know, um, the... the, the the, the bacillus has a huge effect on modulating the cytokines that the anti-inflammatory cytokines 
uh, get upregulated and the inflammatory cytokines get downregulated. And it makes a beautiful, beautiful balance between the, uh, the two again that is so out of balance. And, and we could, you know, for hours talk about the causes that you know probably better than anybody else in the world, the, the electrosmog, the glyphosate in the food, the atrazine in the food, the, the, um, the aluminum from the, the uh, geoengineering uh, that's going on, uh, all, the, all the factors that are so hugely inflammatory this simple product works on all levels to antidote that. And so I think I want to just maybe mention a few clinical observations. Before so we go one, there, before we go there, let me just interject with a question and a comment. You had mentioned the impairment of the immune function and allergies. And I'm wondering, I've, I've uh, been told by many investigators that this same imbalance and disruption in the Th1, Th2 was responsible for an increase in cancer too. Uh, so uh, that so that's an, it would address it, but the the question I have is: Would it repair the immune dysfunction as a result of leaky gut or or dysfunction in the tight junctions? Does it facilitate that repair? That's typically due by toxins or glyphosate. Um, I think we need to that we kind of need to look deeper. You know, we've um, we looked at the. The research recently came out of, from Luc Montagnier, the, the guy who discovered the AIDS virus. And he spent the last few years looking at how microbes communicate with each other and with our immune system. And they actually do that through emissions of electromagnetic waves. Some of these emissions are in the light spectrum, some are in the microwave spectrum, and some are in the low frequency spectrum. And microbes. Um, recognize each other not so much through chemical signals that is secondary but through electromagnetic signals and they communicate with our immune system with electromagnetic signals and I, I could give a whole long lecture on it but <laughs> basically what what happens when two neighboring microbes talk to each other one sends out a spectrum of frequencies and the other microbe answers it with sending out uh, the same pattern of frequencies and they're adjusting the emissions so that one wave that comes from one microbe is mirrored by the same frequency that comes out from the neighboring microbe. So if you would stick a measuring instrument there, you wouldn't find anything because the two frequencies are exact mirrors of each other and they cancel each other out. When a new microbe comes in that is not welcome in the gut, there is none of the resident microbes, nor our immune system, cancel out that frequency. And so this is then how the immune system recognizes the, the, the foreign microbe, um, mounting a huge response to it. And so uh, it's a mechanism that is before the excretion of cytokines and all that. And when we talk about the, the leaky gut and the different mechanisms that are involved with that, um, Montagnier found uh, that there, there is a huge involvement with electromagnetic mechanisms that can virtually cause any dysfunction, mm. that the, the two different ones that you describe or others that are there. And so I'm certainly not the expert on it, but you know, I use a form of muscle testing that I've developed, and we developed a way where we can detect uh, when there is microbes in the gut 
that are not um, recognized by the other microbes, they're not welcome, and we can increase immune tolerance with a very, very simple method that I developed through that. And by by bringing the, the bacillus spores in there and then using the simple other method that we do, um, we can uh, basically anti-inflame the entire gut uh, within a few days. Uh, I'm not going to go into the details here, sure. but the, the spore biotic or the, the bacillus spores play a huge role in that. And so what what is clear in the research that the uh, intestinal mucosal barrier dysfunction with all these multiple aspects of it is over time completely healed with keeping this product there. And it's important for people to know some of these effects may take four to six months to see the full resolution uh, of these issues, but the, uh, we never had a product uh, like that that could do that. Right, just a quick question as a follow-up to that um, and, and an expression of appreciation. Our next conversation will be about EMF, and I want to thank you enormously for finally catalyzing me to do something serious about this, and that's going to be the topic of my next book. And I, I'm probably about as passionate as you are about the topic now. And I'm just, and the, So just as a frame, and we're not going to go on a tangent to that because there's not enough time. It would take hours to go into this. But just a quick question is if you are exposed to uh, unhealthy levels of microwave radiation on a regular basis, would that interfere with this communication that you just referred to, the Montagnier? Uh, oh, absolutely, Joe. Um, uh, Marco Ruggiero, who's become oh, sure. my friend, and I know you know him, he wrote this beautiful Seattle. paper where he actually tracks the literature that it is known that the microbes in our intestines, or really like the, the microbiome, the, the living microbes in our system, are far more sensitive to microwaves than actually the cells of our immune system. The, the cells wow. of our immune system have more developed cell walls that work in large like a Faraday cage, and most of the uh, microbes, the resident microbes in us, do not have that. And so we need to, in the future, much, much more look at wow. uh, that the, the gut microbiome is not just damaged by the chemicals that come with the food, but they're hugely damaged, directly damaged with the electromagnetic waves that we're exposing them okay. to. And so, you know, as part of my treatment for restoring health of the patient, patient every patient gets on day number one gets a lecture on how to protect themselves from these phenomena. And it's really not difficult because it's just, it implies uh, physics, a good understanding yeah. of physics, and then uh, protecting the patient with uh, true physics-based measures. But the, I think we cannot have a, a discussion about the healthy microbiome of the gut uh, without having a discussion of that the, the underlying factors that actually have damage and are increasingly damaging yes. our gut is the electromagnetic waves. Well, I, and so I, I look forward to see... Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I don't... I, we, can, we can go on for hours on this, and I want, I want to end it here, but just to acknowledge that I have read pretty much every book on there and read hundreds of scientific papers on this, and I have yet to encounter the concept you just provided, but it makes perfect sense. And no one's really bringing it out in the, in the public, so thank you for bringing that to my attention. It will be in the next book, so thank you for that. So having said that, let's go on to your, where I interrupted you previously, which was to tell us about your clinical observations doing this, because I do want to keep the conversation on, on the spores. 
So there's maybe one more fact that people are not aware of. When we count the, the weight of the DNA in our system, and when we count the, D, the weight of the entire DNA of the microbiome, that means the healthy bugs that live in our sinuses, in the nose, in the eyes, on the skin, and in the gut, our own DNA is only 2% of the entire weight of the DNA. People do not have a concept of that. And a large part of that weight is the, the microbes in our intestines and the microbes in the sinuses. And so what we do, and the, the, uh, we know that the uh, bacillus spores, when we give them to people, they do not only add to the healthy microbiome that we have, but they're, they're changing through their electromagnetic language that they have in the gut, they're hugely increasing the reproduction of acidophilus or bifidus and other microbes. That's all published. So they, they, the, 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 this is unique. You know, usually when you give acidophilus, okay, maybe 20% come out on the other end of the stomach and that may add uh, to the microbiome in the gut. But they only take care of themselves. But, but the bacillus spores, when you give them, they're actually enhancing many of the other species of beneficial microbes. So they're not just that we're adding something to the pot, but we're actually increasing the good things in the pot at the cost of the others. And and maybe a little bit further than that, the the bacillus spores have been shown to create 24 so far identified substances that have strong antimicrobial properties, but as life goes, they're not like antibiotics that mm. kill everything. 24 different antimicrobial uh, peptides and substances that are very, very specifically suppressing the residents in our gut that are not contributing to the whole. They're not symbiotic, yeah, they're the pathogens like we call them. And so 24 substances, this is unbelievable, that are hugely targeting uh, the, the pathogens. And so, before I get into some of the clinical experience, I think it's important for people to know that the old idea that there is good bugs and there is bad bugs is no longer true. We know that bad bugs become good bugs the moment they're integrated in our microbiome and the moment they're fed with the food that actually makes them behave properly. I just want to, before we go into the other stuff, say one more thing. The the uh, the research that the Swiss researcher did, uh, finding that under certain dietary con conditions, the Clostridia uh, that you know C diff mm -hmm. becomes an important for the survival of the patient. Important bug. Once you feed it with sweet potatoes, the C diff starts making out of that essential amino acids and essential fatty acids. And we need to know that every food that the patient eats is a probiotic. It's either nurturing the symbiotic bugs in our system or the pathogens, or this is even more important, makes out of symbiotic microbes pathogens that now behave in ways that they do something that is damaging us. Or the right food can turn pathogens into symbiotic bugs, and I know that this is not an area that has been investigated properly or has been understood 
that there really is no such a thing as a pathogen. It becomes a pathogen when we feed it the wrong way, when we threaten it with electromagnetic waves. You know, I did this research years ago that shows that fungi that live naturally in the gut and are actually contributing to our health turn highly pathogenic under the influence of microwave. And so what we basically have, we have an environment right now that's an absolute disaster and an absolute disaster for the microbes in us. And when we consider that we only 2% of the entire um, DNA that's in us that's active, that's alive, that's interacting, and the 98% get far more damage than the 2%. And all the research that you've read so far is on the 2%, not on the 98%. So there's a whole um, unknown and, and it's an unfolding disaster that's happening there. So. Okay, no, I'm gonna interrupt you again before you go to the clinical observations, just one point of clarification and then a request for a comment. Uh, when you say microwaves, there are people who watch this who don't know what you mean. I just want to emphasize that that's not just microwave ovens. Yes, it's microwave ovens. It's probably the most pernicious form of EMF in your house, one of the most pernicious, and there's no reason it should be there, but it's also the same frequencies or similar frequencies as your cell phone, your portable phone, your Wi-Fi router, and most of, most of the wireless things. So that, that's the microwaves. But the question I have for you, with respect to the spore-based probiotics, I'm wondering if you can comment if it's a transient or if it actually establishes residency in the gut when you have it, because that's an area of confusion for a lot of people. Yeah, um, the, the research is very clear that the, the spores, when they're hatching out on the other end and they germinate, they establish permanent residency for the lifespan and they start replicating in the gut, which is different from many of the other things. And maybe one other confusion that's that's out there, um, there used to be uh, products out there called soil-based organisms. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and many the, many would classify the spore-based probiotics as part of that, but why don't, you, why don't you clear up the confusion? Yeah, and that was a, a mistake in research. Yes, they are found in the soil, the, the bacillus spores, however, the way they get there is from animal feces. Yeah, so they, <laughs> they are, they are residents in alive organisms. Interesting. They're in the poop, and that's how they got in the soil. And But they're not primary in the soil. They're not replicating. They're just oh. lying silently in their spore form for 50 million years. Yeah, until, yeah, yeah, sure. Until you kind of eat it with your spinach or your salad, and if you're washing it too carefully, you're missing out. <laughs> <laughs> the good stuff. And so, yeah, so they're not uh, they're not falling under the strict biological okay. definition of soil-based organisms because they're not replicating in the soil, but they're found in the soil, but they only get there through animal feces or, okay. or human feces for sure, that purpose. Sure. All right, and then you, and so there, are, I think we established that it's not a transient as most probiotics are, but this. Once it germinates and takes seed, then it's there for its lifespan for a long time. Exactly, and, and they're forming healthy biofilm or contributing to the healthy okay. biofilm formation. In, in, in biofilm, they're in highly communicative contact with mm -hmm. all the other 2,500 species that are in there. And yeah. you know, the, in biofilm, there's mucopolysaccharides that make the biofilm and they're actually light conducting structures and that gets back into that the, the okay. microbes do not communicate with chemicals in biofilm. They communicate through uh, light emissions 
uh, at the speed of light with each other. And there's a whole thing of the quorum sensing and other properties of biofilm that are absolutely beautiful and stunning. And the, the uh, bacillus contributes hugely to that. Okay. So you've established that the primary purpose of all these benefits that were, you've alluded to is to improve immune tolerance. So with the, fra the beautiful frame that you've just established, I'm wondering if now you can progress into your clinical observations on using this as a therapeutic tool. Yeah, so the, the first uh, observations, of course, we had in our des most desperate community, that's the community of the autistic uh, children and uh, families affected by that. Um, you know that the, the most cases of autism that at least we have in the office, um, we, we cannot overlook the connection to, to the vaccines in many cases. There's certainly some cases where it's not connected to that, but in many cases it's within a few days or a few weeks after one of the vaccines, not the first vaccine, but there's so a breaking point uh, where that happens. And um, and so we, we observe in these kids often the dreaded Th2 shift, you know, sort of where the um, Th2 part of the immune system is built up through stimulating it iatrogenically at the cost of the Th1 system. And anyway, so on the practical level, it's pretty simple. You know, that the kids that never they can tolerate only two or three foods, um, you put them on a program with this and within a few months, they become broadly tolerant towards other foods and with that uh, making huge forward steps in their neurodevelopmental development. And we had other uh, probiotics, you know, that we tried that were excellent. Uh, you know, I have to say that, that under the, the, the umbrella of the different autism groups, uh, the whole idea of using prebiotics and probiotics has hugely moved forward with good, uh, good products. But this has been a, a marked breakthrough and has been extremely helpful. Uh, the, 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 the issue there is if you have a kid that's very, very allergic, you have to start uh, with a very small amount that you give once a day and then slowly increase the dose. You don't start right away with a, with a huge dose. Um, that's number one. Number two, you know, my main patient uh, group are patients with chronic intractable neurological disease. It's a community of MS, Parkinson's, ALS, and the larger community of Lyme patients that uh, have all neurological symptoms, but none of them fall under the, the classical patterns. And in that community, the the, uh, the spores have been invaluable. They, they have been really phenomenal. How they have been contributing to the to the progress that that patients make. You know, so most of our our patients have. Uh, severe intolerances towards many foods and really the, the Lyme patients, it's weird ones, you know, that they, they may not tolerate spinach or they may not tolerate carrots. It's not just the gluten and, and dairy allergies, but it's weird ones that were like a, a vegetable that nobody has thought about is actually triggering their permanent uh, whatever back pain or, or their migraines or their, their whatever it is. And so by broadening the, the immune tolerance with the spores, it, it immediately self-corrects. You know that that you know they may have had whatever 60 
different documented uh, food allergies and test before and within a few months there may be five or six left. Um, with that, um, we do know that the leaky gut is a huge part of the, the brain fog and, and just you know before this interview I was seeing patients and just the last patient before us you know since she's been on the probiotic uh, her brain fog has lifted off and she really described it it was like lifting a, a head out of her brain that is now gone and um, we see um, a lot of improvement in just general neurological symptoms. You know, the, the typical Lyme patient often has a feeling of vibration inside that cannot be objectified because when you put your hand there, you don't feel it, but they feel it. Um, we've seen that lift of patients. Uh, brain fog is a big one. Also, vision improvements we see in the Lyme community. The, the people have floaters. Um, uh, they come and go. You know. With, it's just weird stuff in the eyes. Um, we've seen that lift off. Um, but you know, there is so much. And of course, I, I have to be, be honest here because when we treat patients, we put them on multiple things mm -hmm. at the same sure. time. And we're always tracking new ideas so that uh, it kind of gets blurry around the edges. But I would say that pretty much every patient who has been stuck in a certain status of not making progress, once we add in the spore biotic, the, there is further progress with the patient. And they're really, um, the, the people that listen, you know, most people don't know they have Lyme disease. <laughs> listen to this, you know, they may be interested in it, but you know, we, me and Marco Rogero developed a new way of testing for Lyme disease where it shows that at least out of the patients that come to my office, uh, out of the first 150 patients that we tested, two of them did not have Lyme disease. And so um, I, I would dare to say right now the, the infection rate, when we broadened the, the definition of Lyme disease to, to include other chronic persistent infections like Bartonella, Mycoplasma, um, I would dare to say that probably 80 to 90 percent of the U.S. population right now is suffering symptoms caused by uh, by chronic persistent infections, and that community, which really, when I'm right, it would be 90% of all of people listening right now. Um, everybody will improve to a degree or in major ways by adding in this beautiful mm -hmm. immune modulator. Um, we we know that with the chronic infections, the symptoms are not caused really by the bugs, mm -hmm. it's the immune reactions to the bug or the lack of symbiotic immune tolerance towards the microbes. And with with giving the, the sporebiotic, we, we have access to that expression of, of illness. And, and the, you know, maybe to say that here, the, we, why, why do we have to deal with all these chronic persistent infections now? Well, it's the same factors that drive that. The electromagnetic radiation yeah. is the huge one. It's immunosuppressive as a whole and inflammatory at the same time. And it's the environmental toxins. It's really right. just two factors, but that have deranged our immune system in such a way that we can no longer uh, control or eliminate the, the bugs that are not integrated in our healthy microbiome, they stay out of symbiosis with us 
with increasing immune tolerance. That means our immune system stops attacking those microbes and they actually start behaving. When they stop being attacked, they start behaving in symbiotic ways. Um, that is just the nature of life. Um, no pathogen benefits from killing the host. The pathogen is trying to be accepted into a greater community of other microbes. When you ask me, you know, what are we using it for? What have we seen? Well, we see pretty much every patient that walks in here um, gets it. And most patients have tangible improvements with it that never had with any other probiotic or prebiotic. No way. Okay, well, that, that, that is beautiful. It's a great segue for my next question, uh, which relates to the, uh, I got to go back to the electromagnetic frequencies because that's my big passion, elect EMR, electromagnetic <laughs> radiation. So the, you had mentioned the autism on one set and then the vaccines, and I, I'm convinced that there's a connection there, but I believe it, the, the, the likelihood of, of acquiring that disease and illness is, is it predisposed by the other factors you mentioned, the toxins and the EMF exposure and, and toxins like glyphosate. And those two make them much more predisposed to it. And that's on one spectrum. On the other, you have the neurodegenerative diseases that you're treating and then the, the sick patients. But there's this community of people, and I really would love to hear your feedback on this or your comments, that are determined generally in the literature is EMH, electromagnetic hypersensitivity. They're canaries. Conservatively, it's estimated 3%. Some people estimate it's 10 to 15% of the populations that are sensitive to this and actually have symptoms. So my guess is that you, you know this group, and it's actually not that. It's something else. I mean, yes, they are sensitive, but they're actually having these maybe these other infections as a secondary result. And so the question becomes, can and because I, I, I want to stay away from positioning the spore probiotic as a magic bullet. Yes, it's useful. There's no question. I mean, it's, you, it's uncontroversial in your clinical experience, mm -hmm. but we want to stay away from magic bullets. We want to really treat the foundational issues. So of course that's diet and it's the EMH, EMF exposure. So I'm wondering if you can comment on that and, the, and the, this EMH group, the electromagnetically hypersensitive, and if the spore probiotic would be useful in that group. Um, yeah, uh, absolutely. So uh, first of all, um, I, I like to just clarify something. Uh, there is uh, several studies now that, that indicate that everyone exposed to the cell phone radiation is equally damaged on a cellular level, yes. whether you feel it right. or not. I, I get that. I, that's going to be the popping of my book. But, but you know, right, yeah, but, I get it. But yes. what I want to say, so, so there yes. is the electrohypersensitivity syndrome, people that actually know that they're affected um, have the advantage that they have an early warning sign. Right, right. And if they decide to then do something for it, they're actually the blessed group. But I've met people uh, every day that are suffering from this that can no longer exist in the current city environment or even countryside where there is a cell phone tower nearby. They need to look for sanctuaries where they can exist. And we found uh, there is a large, large um, evidence that we have in our practice that uh, these people are either people that carry a high load of heavy metals in their system, which works like an antenna that concentrates the, the radiation in the system, or what is more common, that they're usually people with undiagnosed Lyme disease. Yeah. If you use the broader definition, including mycoplasma and Bartonella. Bartonella being more common than Borrelia, uh, 
and and so we have been successful in really lessening the hypersensitive largely by putting people on my non-antibiotic-based uh, Lyme protocol, plus protecting them from electromagnetic waves, which is part of my Lyme protocol. And so by, by giving the protection for a while, radical protection for about six months and treating the Lyme disease, most people with electrohypersensitivity become non-sensitive. Uh, a, a big part of that is, uh, I can say that here, I think that I give high doses of methylated folate for a while. This is a group that hugely benefits, and this is not like 400 micrograms, but it's 20, 30, or 40 milligrams of wow. methylated folate. Wow. is greatly stabilizing a large portion of this group. By the way, I mean, the electro what, what's, what's the mechanism on that? What do you think? Um, you know, honestly, uh, nobody knows. We found it through muscle testing consistently in this group and then tried it out and it worked. But that's something, you know, uh, uh, Marty Paul, uh, whom you know, sure. and, and other people are looking at the, the calcium influx in the cells and there's certainly some evidence that uh, methylated folate is involved with priming these receptors or for the, the formation of the receptors. And and so it's a very deep mechanism that I, do, I don't know yet how, how that is. But um, I, I just want to say to the general public, you know, if you have somebody who is electro-hypersensitive, uh, these people have, um, their lives are destroyed and they can only exist in sanctuaries and there is a concerted effort to destroy the sanctuaries, the places on the planet that do no longer, do not yet have uh, cell phone radiation or other forms of radio waves. And so this is something that I, I hope you're going to put in your book that we need to politically make an effort to create sanctuary cities uh, or, or communities for these people that need to be supported mm -hmm. in that way. Because they're usually very, the, the interesting thing is that electro-hypersensitive people uh, tend to be highly intelligent, highly creative people. They're, they're people that have unusual gifts very often. These are scientists and, and high, highly evolved people that usually are in that group. And so we want to uh, keep them. Sure. So, and is it true that uh, if someone wants to see you as a patient, which they still can, you're still seeing patients. Oh, yes. You, they can't see you, no matter what their disease is, even if it's not electromagnetic hypersensitivity, unless they agree to eliminating or at least radically reducing EMFs in their environment. You, you exactly. refuse to see them as a patient. Exactly, yes. Yeah. It's and, a, it's a, I applaud that decision. I absolutely applaud it. Standing <laughs> ovation for that. Yeah, no, we have two kinds of patients, the ones that get better and the ones that don't. Yeah. <laughs> and in the group that don't, there's a high percentage of the ones that are not getting it, let's put it that way. Yeah. Okay, well, great. Wow, I can't thank you enough for all the amazing pieces of cl the clinical pearls you dropped in this interview that are just incredible. I mean, some, there's a half a dozen I can think of right off the bat. I mean, it's just novel pieces of information. It, and thank you for your years of work out there, years, decades of work, and you know, leading the charge in alternative medicine, natural medicine, and finding these approaches through your very uh, basic yet sophisticated form of muscle testing to figure these these tools. I mean, it's a, the, the, you know, we don't have time to go into how you do your muscle testing, but it's a it's actually far more sophisticated than many of the instruments on the market. But it's it's 
it's not the easiest thing in the, in the world to learn to do, and as a result, many people don't do it. But, it's, but nevertheless, gives you the tools to, to help develop these incredibly powerful, innovative strategies. And I, and I just thank you for everyone out there for doing it and leading the charge. Thank you, Joe. And I cherish the friendship we had for so many years. <laughs> I mean, sort of still, I'm learning from you every day. You know, I love your website, and it's just my, it's become my main learning tool. And then, you know, because being from Europe, you know, also get that influence. And of course, with the, the physics, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. the work with light and with electromagnetic fields, um, I've, I've had earlier exposure to that, and I'm so thrilled that you that you're understanding the critical importance yes, for and our life and the, really the future of the planet with that. And and quite quite honestly, you know, the having actually a probiotic now that actually works gets rid of 50 other products that our poor patients had to swallow every day. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's one I take every day. Uh, I value it as one of my most important supplements, uh, just for all the benefits you mentioned. And I was taking it just on actually preliminary information that I didn't have the deep dive that you just went into in this, and now I have even more motivated to take it. So it's just a great tool. And I didn't, I never understood or fully appreciated, but it did, I mean, that to me is one of the most important concepts of this, is that this microwave radiation is actually impairing our gut microbiome, which no one's gonna dispute is essential to our health. And somehow I never got that, but it makes perfect sense. Probably through the same mechanisms, through these voltage-gated calcium channels, which our cells have, but they do too. Plants have these, I mean, Paul has shown it very clearly, and there's lots of studies that show it that plants will, will clearly respond negatively to these. Obviously, the first step is avoidance, and, and as you practice and as you apply in your practice, but the spore probiotic can be a very useful tool. Well, absolutely. Like by, by seeding the gut with things that make it stronger, firmer, more resilient towards the offenses that we're presenting to it, uh, is a huge key for our time. You know, we need to we need to kind of live through this insane time. Uh, we need to use all the tools that give us more resilience, which is for me like a holy word. You know, resilience means also immune tolerance, tolerating the stresses of our time, and uh, any tool that does it that is healthy that doesn't have side effects uh, is important uh, to have in our tool chest. And this is as he emerges one of the major ones. Well, thank you again, it's been great.